Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Kane Sports Countdown to Kickoff as the Miami Hurricanes get ready to host the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, a team they didn't even play last year in, a, I guess, a big game for Miami on Saturday at 1230 at Hard Rock Stadium. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, joined, as always, when we play Georgia Tech by Kelly Quinlan, uh, the publisher of uh, Jackets Online. And uh, Kelly, Georgia Tech, a team of mystery to me this year. Uh, I've been watching them since the beginning of the season. Uh, I know that they were hoping to take a step forward uh, this season under Jeff Collins, and it just hasn't happened. And um, I, I watched the North Carolina game earlier in the season, and, and they seem to be catching stride, but uh, it's fizzled since then. So um, let's take a couple minutes and talk a little bit about Tech. They're three and five coming into this game, two and four in the ACC effectively obviously out of the coastal race um so the first question i have is obviously this has been a disappointing season uh what do they have to play for on saturday they're trying to go to a bowl game right so um to be honest everyone left on their schedule except for georgia is very beatable uh has shown they're beatable by various levels of opponents this year they play miami they play boston college and they go up to notre dame which will be a tough game but uh, I actually think five and seven teams are probably going to get into the 80,000 bowls they have this year. So even if they can get to that five wins, the, they have a, ch- a shot of getting in the bowl because of the APR and everything. Um, you know, right now, a lot of it's pride points. A lot of it's really trying to to save some guys' jobs, I think, on the staff. I think there's uh, a lot of heat on Jeff Collins to needs to switch things up a little bit. Um, if they don't finish strong, this will be three straight years of three straight wins. You know, uh, they've been really close, right? They're one in four this season in games where they had a chance to win in the fourth quarter. And that's sort of the killer stat right there. If they're, you know, three and two or even two and three, you're in a situation where you go to a bowl game. They just haven't been able to, to really close games other than the Duke game where they came back and beat them. You know, they beat Carolina really soundly, looked good, and then the next week kind of – just looked terrible against Pittsburgh and, and got marched up and down the field. They get into a wild shootout with Virginia at Virginia, uh, where Georgia Tech's never played well historically. And then, yeah, they play an ugly game against Virginia Tech where um, they let Virginia Tech just eat the clock the whole game and limit the possession. So, you know, they, they've, they're, they are much better than the team that beat Miami two years ago. But they still have not figured out how to win and close games. And there's still a lot of sort of fundamental issues with the, the play, especially on defense, that, that are concerning at this point three years into to Jeff Collins' tenure. So you say they're a better team than the one that beat Miami a couple of years ago? Absolutely. I mean, the team that beat Miami had didn't even have a functioning offense. Um, they had uh, basically the leftovers of the triple option. They weren't playing any option football, really. They had guys trying to throw the football. Um, you know, Jeff Sims has thrown for 300 yards multiple games this year. Uh, you have Jameer Gibbs, who's a dynamic playmaker they didn't have several years ago. Wide receivers are playing really well. The offense has scored some points. I mean, they put 40 up on Virginia, scored, uh, you know, 45 against North Carolina, 45 against Kennesaw. So they have the ability to score points. None of that. They were struggling to score 20 points a game in, in 2019 and last year they were kind of up and down this year they've been a lot more consistent last week they had two touchdowns called back that were pretty significant in the game they've had like seven or eight the season called back for weird 
holding penalties, like uh, an offensive PI, just weird mm-hmm. stuff like that. So they're a very dangerous team. And if, if Miami doesn't approach it like that, they are, in, uh, are going about this the wrong way because Miami's certainly not Clemson from two years ago where they're going to line up and just smash whoever they play. That Miami's a flawed team as well. Um, it's just like every other team in the coastal right now. It's funny, like really other than Duke, I don't think there's a huge separation between anyone in the league. If you look at the top and the bottom and, and anyone could beat anyone any week. And, you know, the funny part about all of this is Georgia tech owns a two game win streak against Miami, which I think might be the only win streak they have of more than one game against any ACC opponent right now, unless there's somebody they haven't played in a while. Um, that I'm not thinking about right now. Maybe Wake Forest. They might have one against Wake Forest, but they haven't played them since like uh, Paul's last year in 2018, maybe. So you had to mention the win streak. I'm sure everybody appreciates that. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right now, sho- shoes are flying across the living room walls and people are breaking glasses and everything else as they watch this uh, at the thought of uh, a two-game losing streak to a Georgia Tech program that's been struggling, quite frankly. Um, you mentioned year three of Jeff Collins, uh, a guy that you know brought some promise to Georgia Tech because he was different than Paul Johnson. And I think people have just gotten tired of that option attack. But at the same time, I think they took it a little bit for granted because that option attack for many, many years was a separator for Georgia Tech. And, and, and it was hard for teams to prepare for that as a, as a standalone game every single year. And it, it kind of created a little bit of an edge for the Yellow Jackets. But I imagine from the viewpoint in Atlanta, I think it just wore itself out. And, you know, they weren't they weren't going to win. It, it just didn't seem like they were going to ever win big doing that. Am I reading that correct? I don't think it's that. I think Paul got, to be honest with you, worn down with the job and is an older guy. Paul's in his 60s and – had coached for been a head coach for like 30 years and was just burnt out. And he had lost a lot of interest in recruiting, which was not really his strength to begin with. And that sort of piece of it was starting to catch up a little bit with them. You know, they had a good season in 2016, 2014, they had probably the best season Georgia Tech's had maybe since 1990. Um, You know, he had, I'd say four or five really great seasons at Georgia Tech, but, it was a lack of consistency year to year with that. And I think fans just get frustrated. Look at what happened with Mark Richt at Georgia or, and you think that the next guy can push you over the mountaintop. Right. But it's not always the case. Obviously you you're living through that uh, covering Miami. Like, you know, from the point, if you told Miami fans when they fired Larry Coker what the next 15 years or whatever it's been, would be like they wouldn't believe you, right? Because no how high the program had been yep. um, in the, the previous 20, 25 years. So I think there's fatigue, and, and that happens with every fan base that I've seen really um, short of, you know, Kurt Ferentz or someone like that. Even even in Iowa, you see that too. But um, <clears throat> I think that people thought he would – he was this great salesman, right? Jeff's a great salesman, great recruiter. Um, knows how to sell his image in his program. The issue has been X's and O's, which is what if you gave Paul Johnson any team, like he could go coach Miami tomorrow, he could figure out a game plan to try and win a game. Now, whether he right. won, I have no idea, but that was he was a tactician, right? Jeff just doesn't come across like that. 
So I think that's where the frustration lies. They went to from one extreme to another. Goes three and nine his first season. That included a victory over Miami down here at Hard Rock Stadium, a stunning victory, obviously. Uh, comes back in the COVID year last year and goes three and seven, and now it's three and five so far this year. Uh, but I assume he's not on the hot seat yet, right, Kelly? I mean, is, is, or is it getting close to that? Um, you know, I think he has one more year to, to show real progress. I think right. um, obviously last year was just a wash for everyone um, with what was going on. I think this year they expected to move the ball forward. And to be honest with you, the team is better, but they still at times look poorly coached or it's just execution or there's something not right. And he's got to figure out how to fix that. If he makes some moves, I think that buys him more time. But I think if, if we're looking at the ACC standings next year and we're having this conversation as they get ready to play and, you know, they're staring at three wins again, he's going to be, in deep, deep trouble and probably gone, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I just think <clears throat> you can't have the bravado that he came in with and talking about you're going to be a lead and do all these amazing things and talking yourself up over and over again and that not produce on the field. Georgia Tech fans are pragmatic, um, a lot different than, than a lot of other fan bases in the league. They, they're cool if you, get, if you were to go out and get run over by Georgia, right? They understand that. If you're getting out-athleted, they understand that part of it. What they don't understand is when a guy's blowing coverages or the scheme looks unsound or you don't understand what they're trying to do. And that's going to be the thing that gets them if he can't put a more consistent, better-looking product week to week, right? They're just way up and down all the time. Mm -hmm. There's just no consistency in how they play week to week. Well, uh you say they're better and maybe better than their record. Jeff Collins says they're better, maybe better than their record. He thinks they're way better than last year, thinks that they're, they've are they come a long way. Uh, but it's been a rough season other than that North Carolina victory. I mean, they lose to Northern Illinois, 22-21. That couldn't have been a happy moment over there in Atlanta. Um, they beat Kennesaw State in in their scrimmage game. Okay, that you know that's, that's to be expected. And... Uh, struggled only beat Duke, which is really at the bottom of the basement this year by four, but at least they won. Um, they had to come from behind to win that game uh, at the very end. They won, on, won uh, at the very end, and they had to intercept a pass to keep Duke from scoring. Um, you go back to Northern Illinois again. There was one sort of caveat to that game. Their starting quarterback got knocked out in the beginning of the second quarter of that game, Jeff mm-hmm. Sims. And um, – he was not playing well. They put Jordan Yates in, who really not played much ever, and sort of came up with a way. And they had to call – they had what I would call two ACC official specials in that game that really cost them um, on a two-point conversion and, and then another play that was pretty bogus. So, you know, it, it turns out that Northern Illinois team's pretty good. I think they're in first place in the MAC, by the way. Um, not making excuses for them, but that's just the way it is. They go to Clemson and lose to Clemson. They had a touchdown called back in the first half on a phantom holding call that was even the announcers on TV are like, what the hell did two guys like collided with each other and fell down and they throw a flag? Like, yeah. um, you know, it, there's been a lot of bad ACC officiating in Georgia Tech games. They've had eight touchdowns, I think, called back this season. 
uh, long like long touchdowns like where somebody got sprung and maybe one of them was a legit call and one was maybe borderline and the other ones were pretty ridiculous calls um and i, I said that like i have no skin in the game like i it doesn't matter to me like, i'm not a tech fan i grew up a georgia tech fan like I'm just watching this as an objective observer and I've watched just crappy officiating all year from the, the ACC. I've been to other games too. They're not Georgia tech games covering them um, and seen bad officiating um, from the league that way too. And then watching on TV, obviously you see it as well. Uh, and I'm sure you probably have seen some in your games this season, but it seems like the officiating has gone downhill ever since um, his name, Doug Rhodes. Uh, retired and and it's been really kind of inconsistent since then. So they're averaging thirty points a game, and they're giving up thirty points a game, uh, which is kind of surprising. Jeff Collins is supposed to be a defensive specialist, and they're not really um, controlling games on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, to me, in looking at this, Georgia Tech's best chance of being competitive on Saturday is a shootout, and. Uh, you know, Miami can do things on offense. Uh, and the question is, can Georgia Tech do enough on offense against what also is a struggling Miami defense? And it, um, I think it starts with Jeff Sims. I mean, he's the kind of quarterback that can give them problems. He's a run pass threat, uh, no doubt about it. He averages 212 passing yards a game. Um, he's and he, he's thrown for 11 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And he's also added 388 rushing yards and four more touchdowns as a runner. So uh, this is a guy that can hurt Miami in multiple ways. And um, the key is obviously for Georgia Tech going to be to to get it done on Saturday and not turn the ball over. And if they can do that, then it might still be a game in the fourth quarter. And if they can't, then Miami should win handily. Um, let's talk about the running game first, because I know uh, they feel really good about their running backs. Uh, I mean, Jameer Gibbs, he's got 531 yards and two scores so far this year. And also has caught 27 passes out of the backfield, which is significant because Miami struggles at the linebacker position. I could see them trying to utilize that aspect of, of the game quite a bit on Saturday. Throwing the ball out of the backfield to their backs uh, seems to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Gibbs averages 5.2 yards a carry. Um, they've also got a kid named Jordan Mason who's got 244 yards and Dante Smith who's got 256. So it's kind of like a three-headed backfield uh, spearheaded by Gibbs, uh, are they the same level as some of those running backs we saw at Georgia Tech under Paul Johnson when they were running the option, Kelly? I mean, I think Gibbs is maybe the most talented running back they've had. And uh, you'd have to go back to John DeWire probably in 2009. Uh, it just He's, he's going to be a guy who plays on Sundays. He's going to be super talented. You talked about J.P. Mason. J.P. Mason – Came back a senior. He's the guy who ran for a buck 141 on Miami in 2019 and a touchdown to lead them to that win. Uh, Dante Smith is uh, he would start at probably, I would say, maybe eight ACC teams right now. Um, and he's behind those two guys. So they have a really talented backfield. They can run the ball. Jeff Sims, you know, they came in and just ran read option against North Carolina with him, and he ran all over them in that game. And then he has another game against Duke where he just throws the ball around the yard. He has that ability to do both things. So if you're saying they have bad linebacker play, that's going to be something that's really interesting. The first play of the Duke game on offense, I think it was the first play, they threw a ball to Gibbs 
basically like five yards and he ran 70 yards for a touchdown out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. That's just his ability. Like he can score at any moment on one play. He had um, two long touchdowns in the last game. One of them got called back for one of those weird penalties. And then he had a, uh, a long run that was literally just a run up the middle. He made one cut, made the safety miss and was gone. And that's, um, I guess he didn't score on that one, but it was, um, you know, a 60, 70 yard run. And that's what Gibbs can do. He gives you something totally different. Really the first part of the season before Jeff started throwing the ball well, teams just bottled him up and his running stats have, have really gone up exponentially since the, uh, probably since the Virginia game, maybe, um, you know, and that's the thing with Jameer. He's just such a different level of athlete. He's a guy you have not seen at Georgia Tech in a long time. He is probably the best, like, player they've had, like, from a pure talent standpoint since Calvin Johnson. Like, um, I mean, he's just sort of a ridiculous athlete. And his back-to-back 100-yard rushing games, He the last two games he's averaged 10 yards a carry. Hmm. And then they, um, when they throw the ball, they've got uh, Kyrick McGowan out there who has 30 catches so far this year, uh, eight touchdowns I thought was notable, and uh, also a kid by the name of Malachi Carter and Adonicus Sanders. So they do have some pieces, Kelly, offensively, um, just not putting it all together consistently, it sounds like. So so here's the X factor with offense, and this is something I should have mentioned earlier. <clears throat> they have had their starting offensive line healthy – I think for one game, which might've been the Northern Illinois game last week, they started a walk on at right guard and a true freshman at left guard. Um, And they started those guys against Virginia the last two games this week. They should have back their starting right tackle. They'll have the starting right guard will move back to right guard from right tackle where he played last game. And the kid that's left guard is also healthy. That's normally their left guard. It was a Remington award guy three years ago, Kenny Cooper. And the guy who played in his place has got better Paulo Viapolo. So they now have like some depth on their offensive line and I think they're a little bit healthier. It should be interesting to see if that makes a huge difference because really the pit game, what, uh, what killed them in the pit game was having two starting offensive linemen out in that game. And the first two plays of the game on offense, they threw interceptions because of mistakes made basically by the offensive line. Um, so, you know, I, there are some real caveats to the offense and why they've had struggles. You know, they're both their tight ends are hurt um, that they normally play with. They've had, um, you know, like I said, the offensive line injuries. The guy that they thought would be their starting right tackle has played two games this year. Um, the guy that was supposed to be the starting left guard has played, I think, one or two games. So they've just never had really the lineup they expected no to have. Yeah. yeah and, and that's hard. Like the offensive line's in one place. Like it's not a real plug and play thing. You you have to have some continuity. And obviously Miami fans know all about that. That's been really the the back uh, the the main issue for Miami offensively over the year the last few years has been poor offensive line play. So you can see like how much when those guys play well, it makes a huge difference in how the offense operates. No doubt. Now, uh, you know, I talked about the disappointment on defense, considering that Jeff Collins is a defensive guy. Um, I mentioned that they're giving up 30 points a game, uh, 431.4 yards. Uh, you know, not great. 
but I will point out that as bad as they kind of are on defense this year, uh, they are improved from a year ago when they gave up 36.8 and 459 yards per game. Uh, Saturday, they're facing a Miami offense that's had it all going the last few weeks. Tyler Van Dyke has been playing exceptional football. Um, the passing game has been humming. Uh, Jalen Knighton as a running back has been busting big plays. Uh, so this is a, a defensive challenge for Georgia Tech on Saturday. Uh, what are you expecting from them on, on that side of the ball? The defensive guys are pretty upset. They didn't play well um, in the, the Virginia Tech game. Obviously, they played the number one offense in the country in Virginia, number 12, North Carolina, um, Duke's 27, and there's one other one that's in the sort in the top 50 have played, but that's been a big problem for them. Like they've just struggled, and you know Miami's now crept up into the top 50 after the last couple of weeks in offense, and um, you know where they've struggled is uh, not being able to get pressure on the quarterback and having guys in coverage too long, and having coverage breakdowns because of that. So that'll be where the interesting piece of this is when they've gotten pressure. They sacked Sam Hell eight times um, in that game, mm-hmm. but you know they, you know, had two sacks last week and the week before. I think they might have had none against um, Brennan Armstrong. So if they get pressure, they're a successful defense. When they don't, they things break down and guys start trying to play hero ball, and then you end up with busted plays, and that's what happened in the Virginia Tech and, and Virginia games for them. So why did it come together against North Carolina and not come together against everybody else? Um, you know, they, they were just playing, they played really good defense the first four games of the season. They played pretty well against Northern Illinois. Um, they, you know, gave up some short field touchdowns in that game. Um, they played very well against Clemson, shut Clemson down. Then they played um, Kennesaw in between there. And, and shut them down with the triple. That's a totally different thing. But you know, they played Carolina play well. And then I think they str- they have always struggled with Pitt. Pitt's real physical up front. They have trouble with teams that are very physical in the lines of scrimmage. Um, and I think they got in their heads a little bit too uh, after that and just struggled. And, and you know, in the, in the Virginia game, it seemed like the D.C. couldn't decide whether he wanted to bring pressure or he was trying to drop eight. It wasn't doing anything like Brennan Armstrong moves around too well for that. So they tend to do better against um, quarterbacks who sit in the pocket a little bit more um, that are not as dynamic in the run game. So that's where this will get curious to me that, you know, that's one thing that uh, Kenny Pickett or Brennan Armstrong, they're really good about feeling the pocket and moving around. And they were able to get some hits on Sam Howell early in that game too. And like I said, they sacked him eight times. Like they probably hit him fifteen times in that game. Like did they blitz to yes. do that, or did they? They did, they, 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 did blitz, they did blitz. They exotic blitzed. Um, and where they had success against Virginia Tech in the second half, they've been using a three-three-five defense from Clemson really until the second half of the Virginia Tech game. Then they their base defense has always been a four-two-five. And they switched because they had they were having more success getting pressure in the three three five look. Mm-hmm. They're getting knifed up in the run game. So they're going I think they're gonna go back to their base defense. They haven't really been clear about it, but they held Virginia Tech to six points in the second half in the base four two five. Um they're a little more fundamentally sound. 
and they got some sacks on um, uh, Burmeister bringing odd pressure, right? They sent some corner blitzes. They they did some stunts, like different things to try to, to mix the picture up for him. And I'm, I guarantee you that's what they'll do against the young quarterback. They're going to bring pressure in this game. These guys, in particular defensive coordinator, I think he's he's got to prove himself a little bit here to, to make sure his job's safe. I don't know that he's ready to be fired, but I think his seat's very warm of, out of all the ones in the staff. The offense, you understand, right? The offense is going to be a transition. Defensively, they've always had talent. And they just have not played well um, in the second half of the season. And that goes to coaching and getting your players ready and their buy-in and execution of your defense. And something along those lines is not working right. And he's got, you know, four games to fix it. And the, the fourth game is going to be a hell of a game against Georgia where they're going to be lucky to not give up 70. So you, you got it. This is, this is it, right? Like, and that's what the players are talking about this week to us. This is it, right? They gotta win Saturday. They need to to win this game. They need to beat Boston College and then go upset Notre Dame and they go to a bowl game, right? So this is Georgia Tech Super Bowl. And this is where it gets interesting because how does Manny Diaz and his team deal with being successful, right? A little bit now. And and you know, two weeks ago everyone's trying to fire the guy and run him out of town. Like, what is the vibe like for Miami? And do they show up and not you know, hey, we just beat Pitt. We're going to roll our helmets out, beat this crappy Georgia Tech team. If you do that, you're going to get your ass kicked. Like, that's just how it is. Like, every time I've covered a team that does something like that, that always happens. And I think, you know, that might have been what happened in, in 2019. Like, they were overconfident playing this, you know, two-win Georgia Tech team and, and got punched in the mouth. And I think the Tech players are fired up. It'll be interesting to see if Miami is or not. Better not overlook the Yellow Jackets, Kelly Quinlan says. And, um, you know, on, on defense, they're built around the linebackers. And I think that's probably why that 3-3-5 is working so well because they can utilize those guys in different ways um, out of that type of formation. Uh, Quez Jackson is the leading tackler. Uh, but Ayinde, uh, uh, Ely, and uh, Charlie Thomas have also been playing decent football, uh, you know, keeping in mind that they're not really having a ton of success. So, uh, look, the, the, Miami's going to be is obviously favored in the game. Miami's at home. Miami's kind of got some momentum going. Miami should win the football game. But if if the Canes show up and they're not ready to play, and uh, it's a little bit of a trap game when you look at you know coming off the two emotional victories with Florida State uh, on the horizon, uh, you know anything anything can happen uh, on Saturday at Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, Kelly and, and and like you mentioned, Tech is a desperate team, and uh, you know we'll we'll have to see how it plays out. So um, we appreciate your time today in breaking down Tech. Uh, you know, looking forward to the to the game on Saturday uh, for Kelly Quinlan. I'm Gary Furman. We thank you for joining us on Kane Sports Countdown to Kickoff, and we'll see you next time, everybody.